I'm glad you're joining us online if you're joining us online. And it's interesting as we come towards the end and, and things are starting to get, you know, back to, to more like normal, you know, whatever that means. Uh, and we start seeing people come back. I, I know one of the questions I think folks are asking is, you know, why do I need to go to church, right? You know, like, I, I got to go, you know, I got to put pants on. I mean, that's a real downer on a Sunday morning. I got to show up, got to get up early. It's just so much more convenient to drink the coffee, to stay at home, you know, watch it whenever I want on my schedule, you know, or maybe just podcast it because you don't need all that. You just want that, you know, just the express version, the Reader's Digest, you know, What's the point of showing up and running all these people I don't like really know or don't know well and then you know you got to see them and, and 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 I know some of you are like man that is totally right and you're probably online and I'm glad you're here um and I know there's so many of you that were like you're just chomping at the bitch you're like I can't wait to get back to church I just need to be there and and for you man the doors were open and you were already outside you know camped out like I'm gonna be the first one in and so I know it kind of runs the gamut because I, it seems in some ways that you come to church and you're with a lot of people that maybe you don't have a lot of of common interest with perhaps uh, you maybe have a you know you're not even sure how you're connected uh, back in 1930, this author proposed this idea. I think it was more of a fictional idea, if I remember correctly, uh, that every human being on the planet was connected by uh, six degrees of separation. Uh, they, I think they even made a movie about this in the 90s. I haven't seen it. I couldn't tell you if it's any good. But um, this idea that, that if you wanted to know somebody, whether it was the Queen of England or the Prime Minister of Australia or uh, you know the, the Premier of China, if you wanted to, to get to know uh, your favorite artist or musician or whoever, that if you spent enough time, you could chase through your social network and find somebody that knew somebody that knew somebody that knew somebody that knew somebody who knew them. You know, that within six, you know, just layers of friendship, or we might call it our social network, we could form a connection or rather find the connection that we have with anybody on planet Earth. Now, researchers and sociologists were intrigued by this idea, and back in 2008, they did some research uh, using Microsoft and, and all of the different emails they have, and they found that, in fact, sort of the max connection, uh, the biggest link between anybody they could find was actually 6.6, so they were, they were pretty close. Um, you know, in terms of being separated. Facebook, about five years ago, teamed up with a team, I think it was from MIT, uh, they got together and realized that the average person on Facebook, whether you're here and you want to connect with somebody in Africa or, I mean, it doesn't have to be on the same continent, you're connected by 3.5 social connections. Uh, the max is 4.2. So it's, the world has gotten smaller. You know, we seem more connected, but we're, you know, incredibly feeling disconnected. And, and you come to church and you've got that kind of sense where it's like, you know, there's all these people, and yeah, I'm sure we've got some things in common, but you know, what is it that, that brings us together? Well, here, here's, here's what I want to propose this morning, is that in Christ, we, we really only have one degree of separation, that, that we are connected through Jesus to every other believer uh, in this room, in this city, in this state, in the country, and around the world. And, and I want to look at a story in the Gospels that I think really illustrates this very well. It's in Mark chapter 5. But before we get there, I want to introduce you to the two characters because they really probably don't have much in common um, at all. The first one I want to introduce you to is, is uh, the text just calls her the woman. 
Um, there you go. That's, you know, you could come up with a name for her. You could call her Iris if you want, or, you know, Jane. I don't, I don't know. You call her whatever you want. The text just calls her the woman. She didn't, she's not known real well. She's actually defined by her problem, and her problem is uh, it just nonstop feminine bleeding. This is her issue that she's got uh, happening for her. And so that's, like, that's how she's known. How would you like that, right? Oh, that's the woman with uh, feminine bleeding. You know, that, that's the only thing she's known or referenced to in the gospel and I suspect that's how the town knew her too. Because the text tells us that she's been dealing with this for 12 years. 12 years. Now, we don't know how old she is. In my mind, I've always sort of pictured her being older, but there's actually no you know, reason to think that she's older. Now, she could be quite young, actually. It, this, this could have started when she was in her teens, and she could now be mid-20s. Now, folks don't live you know, back then as long as they do today, but I mean, this would sort of put her in, in, in midlife back then. You know, your life expectancy is a little north of 40. You know, so this could be where she's at. She could be in her you know, you know, mid-20s, 30s. She could be on the older side, but really, regardless, for 12 years, for over a decade, she's lived with this problem. Now, it's not just a, like a personal physical problem. It's an intense social problem for her as well. Because uh, in this time, in this culture, she was always ceremonially unclean, which meant that she couldn't come to your house and you weren't going to go to her house. Because if you did go to her house, if you sat on anything or touched anything that she touched, you would be unclean and you would have to be ceremonially unclean yourself until you'd gone through a period of, of purification about a day and, and then, then you could rejoin society at large. So you didn't go visit her. She didn't come visit you. You didn't, you know, touch or talk. You didn't spend a lot of time together. And so she's living on this, the outskirts, on the fringe of society. She's sort of pushed out, pushed to the side. And that's who she is. And she's known simply because she's got a problem. We meet another guy. This guy's got a name. His name is Jairus. Now, Jairus is a little different. Because the woman, she, Jairus has got his life together. The woman, however, doesn't. You can think about this woman because as she's been struggling with this her whole life, she has experienced different and new levels of brokenness probably regularly. She's one of those people that needs Jesus every hour. You know, some people can't go an hour without Jesus, and that's her. She has been struggling with this. She's been socially outcast. She's been spiritually cut off because she can't join society. Society goes to synagogue on Saturday. She's been cut out of effective their church. She's been pushed out of the church, and she's not able to participate. The text tells us, uh, this is recorded in multiple Gospels, and we read that she has been spending all of her money on healing. She's been trying to get healing. She's, doctors come to town. She's been to every doctor. She's been to every specialist. She's traveled to specialists. Specialists have come through. You know, the acupuncture people, she's tried that. She's gone and she's tried, you know, whatever supplement or herb, you know, essential oil, snake oil. She's been through the whole thing. And the text tells us that she just keeps getting worse and poorer. And so this woman is very broken. She's broken and she's struggling physically. She's struggling spiritually. She's struggling socially. She is at this high level of disconnect and brokenness. Now, Jairus 
and her really don't seem to have much in common. And I, I suspect if we were going to ask, like, who do you line up with most, you would probably pick Jairus. Because if I were to say, like, how many of you, like, need Jesus every hour? I know we're in church, and so, like, everybody would raise their hand. You'd be like, yeah, I need Jesus every hour. But, I mean, let's be real with each other. Like, you don't, like, need Jesus when you get in your car today. Now, there's a handful of you, and I won't ask for a show of hands, that when you put your key in your ignition and you turn it, you also say a prayer, okay? You're also like, Jesus, please. Jesus, please. Let's let this car start today. Let's let the car start today, Jesus, please. You're praying, but most of you I know, you're not praying that prayer. You know, you put the key in, and you expect it to start. You put the key in, and you know your car is going to start. Or you push the button, because you got a fancy car like my wife's got. You know, you push the button, and it starts. Or you've got one of those real high-end, you can start your car with your app. We live in the future, friends. And so you're not like, it's not an act of faith to get from here to there. You have lunch plans later today. So you're not praying like, Lord, give me this day my daily bread. Tomorrow you're going to go to work. You know what's expected of you. You know you've got some job security, and you're expecting a paycheck as a result of that. This is Jairus. Some people can go years without needing Jesus. And I think that that's probably most folks here. Now, I know some of you really do identify this woman. You're going, man, I need Jesus every hour. I don't know how I'm going to make it through the day. I absolutely have to have him. And there's many of you others that are saying, man, I, you know, if I'm being real honest, I probably could go a year without really needing Jesus. That's Jairus. Now, Jairus, funny thing, he's one of the leaders in the synagogue. Jairus is a guy who uh, is respected in the community. He's known by name. His business is probably thriving. You know, all of the charts are up and to the right, and he is profitable, and life is good for him. The text tells us that he's got a daughter who also happens to be 12 years old. The woman's been suffering with bleeding for 12 years. He has a daughter who's 12 years old. Now, in my mind, I've sort of made up a story about Jairus. That's his first daughter. You know, he gets married, he has a child, he has his first child, he has this daughter, and this woman has this problem with bleeding. And so as Jairus is sort of up and coming as a synagogue leader, you know, it might have actually fallen to him to have the conversation with her to say, listen, I'm sorry, but you can't come to synagogue anymore. You know the rules, and we just got to go by them, and I'm sorry, but there's the door, and until things get better, you have to stay out. So she's living in increasing isolation, but Jairus says you know, his family is growing. He has this daughter, and he has probably more kids, and, and as his community is actually increasing, hers is decreasing, and it seems that Jairus has got everything in his life sort of all together until his daughter gets sick. And if you're a parent, you know what that means, right? Because it's not just like sick with a cough and a cold. It's like she's about to die. And there is nothing that this dad is not going to do or try to make sure that his daughter is healed. And so he packs up his courage and probably has to swallow a little bit of his pride. And he goes to find Jesus. And this is where their stories converge She's lived on the outcast or the outsides, the fringes of society. He's lived in the mainstream society. He's been respected. He's known by name. She's defined by her problem. And all of a sudden, they have this need, and that's where their stories converges in Jesus Christ. And here's the truth. At some point, we will all need Jesus. At some point, we're all going to need Jesus, and thankfully, we're going to find out that he's ready for us. 
We're going to find that Jesus is ready and waiting for us. And it's been said that the, the, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And I think that we see that that's true here in today's text. Because they both come out of desperation to meet Jesus in their point of need. And, and, and this is, I think, where everything starts to come together. I, I want to look at the text now. It's in Mark chapter 5. I'm going to read it to you. Um, it says this, When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd was gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, saying, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. Let's pause for a second because there's this huge crowd that surrounds Jesus. And everybody wants to see him. Everybody wants to touch him. Everybody wants to be, you know, part of the Jesus show because he's just so famous. He's attracting so many people. But you get this picture that as Jairus comes and he's got a little bit of an entourage with him, the people in the community are going, oh, hey, Jairus is right back there. His daughter's sick. Let's, you know, let's, let's part a little bit. And it's sort of like this crowd parts so that Jairus can get to Jesus what happens? It says that he falls down. He pleads with Jesus, saying, Jesus, would you please come heal my daughter? It is definitely a request, but it's probably also a command. <laughs> Jesus, you've got to come with me. And so Jesus goes. Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed him, pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors, and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. And when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. So she's got to fight her way through, touching everybody that told her to stay away. I and mean, there's got to be a little bit of satisfaction in her mind, right? As she's like, oh, you told me I couldn't touch you. And she's touching him and touching him. And then she's like, ah, oh, there's Jesus. And if I could just touch his cloak, I know I will be made well. Immediately, her bleeding stopped. And she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you? His disciples answered. And yet you ask, Who touched me? The disciples are all like, Jesus, we all touched you. I've touched you. He's touched you. They've touched you. All these people have touched you. There's no social distancing at this point in time, right? We're not six feet apart. We're like on top of each other, Jesus. We're all touching you. Let's go. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. How would you like to do that in the crowd? Hey, Jesus, yeah, I have this condition, and it made me ceremonially unclean, and yeah, I touched all of you in the crowd, especially you, and um, so, yeah, I did it, I'm sorry, and I touched you, Jesus, which probably means that you're ceremonially unclean now, and so, yeah, that's, that's what just happened, and here's Jesus' response. He says to her daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Notice here, Jairus comes for his daughter, but Jesus has come for his daughter. Jesus has come for his daughter, who is this woman who nobody claims, nobody owns, nobody is connected to. Jesus says, I'm connected to you. You are my daughter. This reminds us that we are all sons and daughters of God. None of us live disconnected from our Heavenly Father. What happens next? While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, and said, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? With friends like this, you know, who needs enemies? Now, I, I, I read into that a little bit because I think that part of what they're saying is, hey, Jairus, this is beneath you. 
you know all of the religious leaders have already marked Jesus off as, as fringe. He's outcast. He's not accepted. You know, we're trying to find a way to silence him. And here you are humbling yourself, falling on your knees in front of the entire crowd, in front of this guy. Jesus, you know, Jairus, put it aside. Let Jesus go. Come back with your dignity, the little bit that's remaining. And here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, don't be afraid. Just believe. I find this interesting, too, this contrast, because the woman presses her way through the crowd. She fights through the crowd. Every time they give her a look and she just keeps going, she does it in faith because she believes in Jesus Christ. Jesus here has to tell Jairus, Jairus, hang on to your faith. Jairus's faith is probably just hanging by a thread. He wasn't even sure he believed in Jesus when he left, but he hoped. And Jesus has to command him, says, Jairus, keep believing. Hang on just a little bit longer. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they all laughed at him. Why? Because you can tell when somebody's dead and when somebody's asleep. These are professional mourners also. Today, we don't do this sort of thing. But back then, if you had money and means, and even if you were poor, you would at least hire one professional crier to come to your, your house. That's what they did. They would just hire people to come cry and wail and make a commotion at their house. And the more people you had, I mean, it was like the more that they were loved. And Jesus, you know, he tells them a funny joke, apparently, and they all start laughing in his face. And what's it say? It says, after he put them all out. You know, here's what I find interesting about this, is Jesus is not like a freak show. Jesus, we know later, is going to travel to his hometown of Nazareth. And his hometown, his people, the people he grew up with, are going to be like, hey, Jesus, we heard about this like miracle show you keep doing. Would you do the show for us here? Would you do the song and dance for us here, Jesus? Would you, would you do something, you know, perform a magic trick for us? Could we see you do something here? And Jesus says, no, I can't do it here because you don't believe, because you want the freak show and you don't have the faith. You know, the same thing's happening here. These people, though, don't believe. They think Jesus is out of his mind. Jesus, he works in faith, friends. And so he has to put these people out before he can do a miracle. I, I, I wonder if sometimes the reason God isn't working in our lives is because we're surrounded and surrounding ourselves with people who are maybe too cynical or critical. And we're finding ourselves surrounded by people that are maybe actually inhibiting the work of God in our lives. You see, sometimes we've got to say goodbye to some folks before we can say hello and welcome to God. It doesn't mean that we cut them off and that we're not going to talk with them about our faith and we're not going to talk with them about God, but we might have to say, listen, I'm not going to allow you to have the kind of influence in my life that you previously had because I'm going to reserve that for God. I want Jesus to tell me who I am and speak into my life more than you. So Jesus puts these people out. He takes a child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, and he went in where the child was, and he took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Jesus performs this miracle, this healing, this daughter is restored to her parents. The woman is healed. And not only is she healed, but she's restored to her community. 
I know it seems really kind of harsh that Jesus would call this woman out and and ask her to tell him the story because he already knows the story, right? So why is he doing that? It's because he knows that everybody else in the town needs to know the story. So that way, when she shows up to synagogue on Saturday, that she's allowed in the door. Otherwise, you're going to say, listen, you know, what's going on with you? You have this problem. You're not welcome in here. And then she'll say, listen, Jesus healed me. Well, how do we know that? Well, Jesus made a scene. And he let everybody know that I was his daughter and that I'd been healed. And so I'm allowed in. Jesus is restoring this woman to community. Jesus is challenging Jairus' community. And he's giving Jairus a new community. I don't know if you see that, but the mourners and the, the skeptics, he pushes out the door and he surrounds them with the disciples, Peter, James, and John, Jesus himself. And he forms a new community. Now, here's what I wonder. Like, what was church like the next Saturday? I mean, that's when they go to synagogue, right? What was it like next Saturday? Because here you've got Jairus, this synagogue leader who's liked and respected, and he's got his front row seat, you know, there at synagogue. And then you've got this woman who's been there in 12 years, so much that probably people have forgotten what her name is. What happens when she comes? Yeah, there's a seat in the back probably, and all these seats are taken. In my mind, I think Jairus realizes that they're connected, that, that 12 years ago when he pushed her out, that God was still holding on to her. And Jairus realizes that his daughter's story and this woman's story are somehow entwined, and he says, listen, um, I don't even know your name, but I want you to sit here with me and with my family, and let's get to know each other. And why don't you become part of our family? And why don't we start to do, you know, things together and holidays together? Would you become part of us? You see, that's the the common thing. That's the connection. At some point, we will all need Jesus. At some point, we're all going to need Jesus, and we're going to find that he's ready for us and that he's going to connect us with each other because that's where that true healing takes place, when we are restored and connected into community. You know, today I know that we've got a lot of folks that do spiritual self-study courses, right? We've got the online resource. We've got all manner of things that we do. And you say, you know, I want Jesus, but I don't want the church. Listen, if you'd said that to Jesus, I want you, but I don't want your people, Jesus would say, I I don't understand. It doesn't work like that. You get me, you get my people. You told the apostle Paul, hey, you know, Paul, I like the message about Jesus, but I don't like the church. Paul would have looked at you and said, listen, they go together. They're both called the body of Christ, right? That's not an accident. Jesus gives his body on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins so that we, we could become the body of Christ. If you want Jesus, you get his body, both versions of it. That's how we're connected. And so that's why it's important we get together. That's why it's important that you get out of your car and you bump into somebody you don't know. And instead of kind of doing that like thing, like maybe we didn't really see each other, we look each other in the eye and we go, hey, I, I know you've probably been here, but I've only seen this. You know, um, Tell me your name. How long you've been coming here? What's your story? You know, This is why I think coffee actually is an important gift. Like, Coffee makes me a better Christian. Can I get an amen to that? Yeah. Um, you know, why do we serve coffee? And hopefully that's coming back soon. Why do we do that? It's because there's something that happens when you're there and you're pouring yourself a cup of coffee or, or you're one of those people that is the pink, blue, you know, white sugar things and the, the 
cream stuff and you're stirring. It's, it's you're standing there and somebody else is standing there and you realize that they've got a shirt on from your work and you're like, do you work there? And you start to form this connection or you're standing in line to check your kids in a kid's place and, and all of a sudden you realize that your kids are like the same age and you start to ask questions about, you know, what's, you know, how's it like? You know, what's going on? What school do they go to? These are the connections that we have. It's important we get together. This is why we're working on getting social, a social together for August because we want us to sort of spend some time to bump together and to spend some time discovering the connections that we have in Jesus because in Jesus there's only one degree of separation because in Jesus we all we're here because we need him we're all here because we need Jesus I'm here because we need Jesus you're here because you need Jesus and if you're here and you don't believe in Jesus you're here because you think you might need Jesus that's what brings us together and when we come together, we realize that Jesus heals us, not just in our souls, not just in our bodies, but by socially connecting us with others. How many of you have formed a life-giving friendship through somebody you met at church? How many of you? Yeah, I have. How many of you, in your mind thinking about this, have formed a friendship with somebody at church that you would not have met any place else? I mean, I know I have. I started thinking about that this, this week as I was thinking about this Sunday and I was thinking about the way that I'm connected and who I've bumped into and who I would have never met had it been for church. And I think one of my good friends, John Smith, you know, I, he's, his age, he could be my dad, you know. Um, his professional career has been very different. Science, math, things, I don't understand. He told me once what he did. I didn't understand it. Um, it had something to do with burning coal. Um, it was a lot more complicated than that and making it clean. Um, I didn't understand it, but in the church we came together and it's been a life-giving friendship for the both of us that's what god does he connects us with him and then he works to connect us with each other and so as the worship team comes out that's the challenge for us this week is is there still money on that starbucks card that we loaded a few weeks ago there's been some stuff coming into it it's been kind of fun to watch and man if you've not made a connection coffee's on us you know take somebody out and say let's get to know each other this week let me let me let Weston buy you coffee and, um, you know, and let's get together and just talk about the way that we have connections. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, I'll tell you the first connection we make is with Jesus and then Jesus connects us with his family. And so if you've not ever made that connection, I'd love to talk to you about what that's like. You know, if somebody brought you this morning, they could talk to you about that. You could catch me after service. You could catch me during the song. You could shoot us an email or text the church. We'd love to talk to you about what that means. But God has come to heal and to connect us.